Hey, I want to welcome everyone, those of you who are watching at our campuses, those of you who are watching online. We are wrapping up our series, Homewreckers. And I want to tell you, if you missed one of these messages, I just want to give you a little nudge. Be great to go back, watch. It's been such an incredible series. And I'm going to come out strong here. So here's what I want to say. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you, you probably lie. You probably lie so much that it's become a regular routine for many of you. I want to ask you, I think I can catch on this. Have you ever said this before? I'm almost there. No, you weren't. You weren't almost there. You weren't even out of the driveway. You know, you're just trying to cover your bases. Or or how about this one? It must have gone to my spam folder. No, right-click, delete, that's not a spam folder. You know, I just want to clarify that. That's not a spam folder. Maybe you said this one before. It really, it really wasn't that expensive. You ever heard that one? Like, oh, yes, it was. It was really expensive. I heard this this week. It's just a football game. Like, it's a Super Bowl. What's wrong with you? It's not just a Super Bowl or a football game. You know, I also heard this one. Have you ever said this? I haven't even said this before. I have to be honest. Confession. It's so great to see you. <laughs> you ever said that? You're like, no, it's really not. So, but how about this? You ever said this before? This is so delicious. You know, I'm like, no, it's not delicious. I just want you to keep cooking so I don't have to. You know, we, uh, we do this. I hope I caught you. We do this a lot. We, we tell these lies. They're just a shade from the truth. And you want to kind of stop maybe and go, well, why do we do this? Why, why do we tell these little lies? Why aren't we more honest? Well, sometimes I think we tell these little lies, a shade off the truth, because we really don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And that's legit. But there are other times that we tell lies like this because we want to make ourselves look better than we really are. It's almost the exact opposite. But we want to portray ourselves a certain way. And we tell lies in marriage too. And we tell lies sometimes in marriage because we don't want to have the conversation over and over and over. Ever been there? So you have a spouse that asks you, how's everything going? And you're like, oh, it's fine. It's okay. It's good. We're okay. And you're lying. You're not being honest. And sometimes in marriage, we tell lies because we want to avoid a fight. We think it's better just to leave it alone. And so we're not being completely honest. There are all these ways that we can start to tell these lies, these things that are just a shade off the truth. I want to tell you something about Jesus' resurrection. So after Jesus was resurrected, the early church had this time where they just thrived. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was a great picture of God's family at work. I mean, people were doing incredible things. And Jesus in the New Testament likens his relationship with the church to that of a marriage. And so I thought it'd be good to dig in. Let's dig in as we look at how we can keep improving and strengthen our marriages at the picture of the early church, and we might learn some things. Here's what the writer says in the second chapter. He says this about the early church. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then look what it says. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I mean, this is a great picture of God at work and of his community, the church, being the very best version of itself. I mean, they met each day. They, they spent time together. When they spent time together, they really would just check in with each other. How is your day going? Tell me the high. Tell me the low. What are you struggling with? They ate together. They, they participated in celebrating Jesus' resurrection. They prayed, and God just continued to bring more and more people. Man, I think there are people from the outside, they looked at what was going on in the early church, in that community, and they said, I want to be a part of that. That is unique. It's different from anything else I experience in life. And so they desired to have that be their family, their community. Man, it just keeps getting better. And Luke, the writer, gives us even a more descriptive, uh, really, picture of the church in chapter 4. He says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now, I say one of the things that we find in this early church is unity. There there was incredible unity. There was purpose in the early church. Now, before Jesus the church did not look like this. The, the church wasn't a place that was unified or galvanized on purpose. The church actually was very competitive. The church was competitive in its community because the spiritual leaders wanted everyone to concentrate on the outside. They wanted to look at behavior. And so they had all these rules and these regulations of how to live. They didn't deal with the heart They just wanted to make sure that people looked right. And so in this church, the competitive spirit played out because you wanted to look better than your neighbor. I mean, as long as you look better than your neighbor, you're good. And so they continued in this church before Jesus to bring out this competitive spirit. I begin to think about this. How does this filter down to marriage? What can we learn? Well, there's lots of things we can learn. One of them is about unity. When we are unified in our marriages, we are in our most powerful state. I mean, this is the truth. When you're on the same page, his success is your success. Her success is your success. It's team. It's working together. When we're in unity, we become a force that is to be reckoned with. You know, really, it's when we are the strongest It's when we're most protected in marriage, and it's when we're most fulfilled. You know, there was another thing that we find here in these words is we find that the church had an extreme selflessness about it. Isn't it pretty crazy? 
Man, I don't have people each week to come up to me and go, you know what, I'd like to sell my house and I'd like to give to the church. Like, that sounds like a great idea, you know? But, but this was the church. I mean, they were like, hey, I'm going to go sell my excess so that I can give to those that are in need. And there was no needy people among them. Isn't there a part of you that just goes, I would sign up today to be a part of that. I mean, there's a, a selflessness that is attractive. When people are caring for each other, when people are protecting each other, man, that, that's a place that, that God resides. And when you think about marriage, I want to say that I believe that selflessness, the way that we serve each other in marriage, it's probably the greatest indicator of how well our marriage is going. You know, when we're selfless, we look more like Jesus. I mean, that, that's what we find. And in marriage, that's what we really have to offer. We have to offer this opportunity to reflect Jesus to our spouse, to care for them the way that God desires for us to care for them. You know, if you've never read the book of Acts, I want to encourage you to go out and do it. I want to encourage you if it takes you a few days, takes you a month. I want to encourage you to dig in and read the book of Acts. It's our story. It's our history. And in it, we find all these incredible things. God's community, his family, looking like the people he desired them to be. But in chapter 5, we find this shocking story and this hard turn. In chapter 5, we see an example of how corrosive faking it can be. I mean, the truth is that deception is the thing that can begin to divide. And we see this as Luke records it in this chapter. I want you to look at these words. He simply says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was for full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So Luke tells us that in the midst of everything going so well, there is this couple that conspires together to deceive this church. I mean, really, as they deceive the church, they're not only deceiving who the community of believers are, they're deceiving themselves. You know, and God really has something to say about it. I mean, in this, we, we find that God is very serious about this. And when we look at really Ananias and Sapphira's life, and, and we look at this decision that they make to hold back some of their money while presenting that they had given it all. We, we see that really in this, that it seems that they're selfish. I mean, that's the first thing you look at, like, wow, you were selfish. I mean, you're greedy. Why did you do that? But I think if you look underneath it, it's not selfishness or greed that was driving them. It was really the love of the spotlight. That's really the sin that gripped Ananias and Sapphira's heart. You know, they loved to look good. And, and they wanted to make sure that they looked good in this new early church, this community of believers. And so they did everything they could to keep elevating their status. You know, we see that Barnabas sold this piece of land and his heart was very different. He came and gave it to the disciples and said, I want you to do with it as you wish. But with Ananias and Sapphira, as they want to present themselves one way, but internally be different, to hold back some of that money, what we see again is this competitive spirit starts seeping its way back into the community of believers. You know, here, here's what I want to uh, think about. 
I want us to think about this. How do we translate this story to marriage? And you go, well, I, I, can't, I can't put that together. I don't know. Well, I want to challenge you to maybe consider it this way. Do you feel in your marriage that you need to be competitive with other people in marriage? I mean, I know that sounds like such a weird question. Like, of course I don't feel I'm competitive. It's me and my wife. It's me and my husband. But do we compete with one another by always looking around and seeing where we are at in the race, how well we're doing, how well they're doing? Do we even celebrate ever someone not doing well because we feel better about ourselves? Is there a spirit of competition in our marriages? Second thing I want to ask you is this, is there a spirit of comparison? I mean, do you have a spirit of comparison in your marriage where you're always comparing where you're at, how this marriage, do you get out on social media and start looking at what everybody else is doing and wonder, am I doing well enough? Am I not doing well enough? We flat. I mean, what's going on here? Have you ever done this? Have you ever had an awesome fight on the way to church? Man, I'm not talking about a fight. I'm talking about an awesome fight. I mean, where you guys are ready to like get in the parking lot. You don't even talk to each other all the way to the door. You open the door and what is it? How y'all doing? It's good to be here. Brought my favorite person with me today. <laughs> you know, we have this nature to do this. And I think it really is because we feel sometimes the need to compete. We need to compare. You know, have you ever like honestly been in public and praised your spouse or talked about how good your marriage was in church, in one of the Bible studies, a home team, and then you got in the car and you didn't talk to them at all. You just told everybody how awesome they were. You get in the car, you're like, you're not awesome. I can tell you that. I was just covering for you, you know? You're really not that good. I want to tell you that I think um, there's this pressure that we put on ourselves. And I just want to be honest as your friend, as one of your pastors, I feel this pressure. I feel the pressure sometimes to make sure that our marriage looks right, to make sure that Sarah and I are together. Man, I've had unbelievable arguments with her, seasons where we're even not on the same page, and we come into the life of the church, and we're trying to lead well, we're trying, and it's just not going well. And here's what I'm learning and here's what I think God is teaching me. The enemy wants you to fake it in public so he can dismantle you in private. And that's what he wants to do. He wants us to pretend in public so he can take his best shot at us in private. And we, we've got to like think about this and figure out ways that we can safeguard our marriages and to be vulnerable and real so people can help us. You know, Peter gets really uh, honest with Ananias here. He says this to him, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Man, what an interesting question. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was, was, who, me, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Look what it says. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. I mean, Peter's very serious about this, obviously. He says, the management of this property, Ananias, the fire, that, that was your thing. 
He, he wants Ananias to know in this moment that like, that's your decision whether you want to sell it, keep it. It's totally up to you. And really the amount, if you choose to sell it, it's up to you too whether you want to give a lot, all of it, some of it, part of it, a portion of it. That's all up to you as well. But when you lied, you didn't lie to us. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. And I want to tell you it's interesting because lying to God is not a good thing. God knows everything anyway. Ananias and Sapphira aren't pulling anything over on God. Here's what I do know. Deception makes us stupid. Right? I mean, deception, we start deceiving ourselves. We just get dumber and dumber, and we make poorer and poorer decisions because we're not being real. We're not being honest. The truth is not living in us in that moment. Well, three hours later, we learn in Scripture that really Sapphira has an opportunity to come clean. And she walks in not knowing what had happened to her husband. And Peter asks her the same question. He asks her the same question that he did Ananias hours before. She, instead of repenting and telling the truth, decides to stick with the story. And Peter says this, you know, the same men who carried your husband's dead body out of here, they're coming for you now. And she died. I don't know about you, but I read this story years ago, and I read it this week, and I still, there's part of me that's like, what? This is so shocking. I mean, it's a shocking story. It seems to be in the wrong place in Scripture. I mean, you look at it and you kind of go, man, the church is thriving. All of a sudden, this couple makes this really bad decision. And what is really going on here? What is God trying to do? As we look at it, I want you to know that I think that this story is worthy of our attention. It's worthy of our attention. It's one of those that's easy to read over in Scripture and kind of go, I really don't know what's going on here, so I'm just going to keep going. But I want to encourage you to pause and to ask, God, what are you trying to tell me because you thought this was worthy for me to hear, for me to learn from? You know, I'm always that dude, I want to know how things go down. Like, what did it look like in real time? I mean, as Anas and Sapphira are talking about this and they're considering what they're going to do, did they have the conversation? They're at the dinner table. Was it at the grocery store? And how did the conversation go? I mean, what was the temptation? Was really Sapphira saying to Ananias, you know, man, nobody knows how good you are. You're such a phenomenal leader. If the community just knew, I mean, we just need to make sure that you get yours. You need to be recognized. People need to know how good you are. And was Ananias saying to his wife, yeah, it would be great to give all that land like Barnabas did, but how are we going to do it? How are we going to pay the bills? we got kids to get through college. We have so much to do. And so instead of one of them telling the truth, instead of them pausing, they decide to set up this scheme. They think it's going to be a win-win situation. It was not win-win. I mean, they were deceiving not just the community, they were deceiving God. And here's what I think God wants to teach you and I, what he wants to show us in marriage about this. He wants us to understand that it is so important to tell the truth. It's so important to tell the truth in marriage. And I would say this, as Christ followers, we're not encouraged to tell the truth. We're obligated to tell the truth in marriage. Because here is the truth. 
Truth does protect us from making really bad decisions. And when we tell the truth to one another, it challenges us. It protects us. It gives us clarity to do what is right and what is best. You know, I'm just going to guess that there are some of you today, as we've gone through this series together, that your marriage is flat. You know, it's flat. You may be in a season where you're kind of going, you know, it's kind of ho-hum, or we're really not together, we're really struggling. And I just want to tell you, I believe if you're married long enough, you're going to have one of these seasons. So, so rather than feel bad about it, I'd love for you today to start a practice that will help you take it to the next level. That's what God wants to do in your marriage. He doesn't want you to be flat. He wants to help you take it to the next level. And I want to share these words with you to encourage you and help you do that. Here's what the writer Paul says. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. No, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Did you catch our call? Our call is to speak the truth in love. Now, I've learned something over the years about marriage and about people. There are really two types of people, and you'll generally tend to fall one of these two ways. There are those that tell the truth, and there are those that love, right? But you tend to fall on one side of the equation or the other. You know, for the truth tellers in the room, I want to tell you, you're experts. You're really good at telling the truth. You tell the truth and nothing but the truth. There's a group of dead bodies behind you, but at least you told them the truth, right? I mean, they're okay. You told them, you warned them. And that's how you kind of see things. And I'm just going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And it doesn't matter what happens. I'm just going to, just going to tell what needs to be told. And then there's the lovers. You know, the lovers uh, have forgotten sometimes the truth is part of the equation. And they love to look good their, their heart is right, it's in the right place, but often they seem innocent because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And so they've just been unwilling to tell the truth. I want to tell you that I believe that in this passage, God is saying this to us. In marriage, you've got to bring these two things together. You've got to bring truth and love together so that you learn to speak what is right what is good, what is profitable in a way where people feel safe, where your spouse feels safe, where they feel loved and cared for. And when we do this, did you see what the scripture says? It says we will speak the truth in love and what will happen? We will grow in how many ways? Every way, every way, more and more like Christ. You know, I wanna give you a little bit of homework here. I want to uh, encourage you this week to identify yourself. I want to tell you, when we talk about which side of the agenda you fall on, more truth or more love, it's easy for you to look and think about your spouse, right? You've probably already done that. Yeah, you're a truth teller, you know? Or yeah, you just love all the time. You never tell me what's right. I want you to identify yourself. And I want you to be willing to go to your spouse and say, I feel like I tend to fall more on this side. 
whether it be speaking the truth or whether it be the love part. And then as you do that, I want you to ask your spouse humbly to help you do whichever side you have better. Help me speak the truth in a better way. Help me have more courage as I seek to love you to be willing to speak the truth. I mean, challenge each other in that way. You know, if you're a truth teller, here's one thing that's pretty easy. I want to encourage you to speak less and listen more. You know, sometimes when we have the truth and when it comes so easy to us to tell, we like to do it quickly. We don't always listen to all the facts, all the things that are going on. We discount emotion, the emotion of our spouse, how they feel about something. And I want to tell you what, if you tell the truth and at the end they doubt your love, have you really gained much? And so learn to do that well. And if you're more on the love side, I want to challenge you too to be willing to recognize that your spouse needs your voice. They need your experience They need your perspective. They need your wisdom. And it may hurt sometimes. You may speak the truth in love, doing your best to love, and see that it creates really pain. But I want to tell you sometimes the pain that the truth brings, it's good. My wife Sarah has spoken some hard truths to me over the years of our marriage, almost 30 years now. And I tell you, there are some of those hard truths she spoke to me that I would share with you, and there's some I would never share with you. And they're in the intimacy of our marriage. But I can tell you this, whenever Sarah has been willing to speak a hard or a difficult truth to me in love, even though it hurt at the time, that is where God has done some of his best work in our marriage. When we've been willing to say what needs to be said, And we do it in a way that is loving, in a way that is caring. And I want to tell you this, I believe that sometimes God needs to use a little sandpaper to make things beautiful. He wants to continue to allow us to grow and to trust one another. Man, there's so many times in marriages where you see something start moving in the wrong direction. And I finally get to the table with a couple and you just wish that someone would, hey, I I need to say something. You're like, that would have been so good a month ago, six months ago, a year ago. But today we have the opportunity to speak the truth in love. And I want to give you a guide to do it. A scripture, if you will. I think the scripture is a a powerful scripture. It's one that many know, that many have memorized. But I want you to think about it through the lens of marriage. Here's what it says. Paul's words again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You probably have that down. But how about this side of it? But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I would encourage you even to write your spouse's name in this. But only what is helpful for building Sarah up according to Sarah's needs, that it may benefit Sarah as she listens to me. I mean, when we put ourselves in this, I think it helps us gain perspective of what does my spouse truly need? How can I be someone who is favorable, someone who benefits them, 
how can our team be all that God wants it to be? You know, I don't care what season of marriage you're in, whether you're starting, and I know we have some, that are just starting out in the season of marriage. You may be in the middle. You may be the old sages in the room, right? You've had a number of decades under your belt, but these words that we find here in Ephesians, they're words that can help you, help you continue to learn to speak the truth in love so that you can protect your marriage, so that you can really be fulfilled in your marriage, so you can be the people that God wants you to be, you know, sharing the light so other people in the world can see how much God loves marriage. You know, as we've been going through this series, we've been working at tackling some sins, some sins that can be corrosive. They're corrosive in our relationship with God and in the relationship of marriage. And, and in the Old Testament, we find this beautiful Jewish tradition. It's a tradition where a Jewish bride and groom, when they came to their wedding ceremony, would stand under a canopy like the one behind me. And this canopy was called the chuppah. And really what this canopy represented was it represented a promise that God gave to his people. It can be traced back clear to the book of Exodus. When God brings his people out of Israel, he uses Moses and he says, I want you to know that I'm promising four things. I promise to bring you out. I promise to rescue you. I promise to redeem you, and I promise to bring you to me. And each time a Jewish couple stands underneath the chuppah, what they are doing is they are recognizing the glory of God residing over their marriage. They're saying, Lord, we need your blessing, we need your protection, and God is bringing that because of their faithfulness. And a Jewish groom, when he stands under the chuppah, he is saying to his wife, I promise to do the things that God promised to his nation. I promise to be who you need me to be. And in that, we find a powerful thing. That this opportunity to stand under the chuppah is something that is sacred. It's something that is holy. You know, really the power of your marriage is found in the two of you. It's found in you being the team. You being really the the individuals that God desires to bring hope to the world. And I find it crazy sometimes to think that, uh, man, Sarah and I found each other. Out of seven, some now say eight billion people on our planet God, in his goodness to both of us, brought us together. He brought you together in marriage. And you formed something powerful, a reflection of God to the world. And so as we wrap up our series in a few minutes, we want to give you an opportunity to recommit your love to one another. And we want to give you an opportunity to recommit your desire to have God's protection, his blessing. His glory to surround you. And I want to just encourage you as we come in a few moments at all of our campuses to do this, to recognize this moment. It's been so incredible to watch in each of our services how God continues to use our marriages. And I want to tell you as you come, we're going to give you a card. 
And this card is just a representation of really what marriage is about, the power of it. And we want you to go this week and continue to pray for God to strengthen your marriage. And not only pray for your marriage, but pray for the marriages to come. And one of my favorite parts of the weekend was I was able to take a picture of my daughter who has been married for a couple years now. And while I was taking her picture under the huppa with her husband, I mean, it just reminded me of how many prayers I prayed for her. I know we have so many parents that are out there and you're praying these faithful prayers. It's not only for our marriages, but it's for the future marriages of those that will follow. And I want to tell you this too, before we do this, I recognize we've been in this marriage series that not everyone is married. I know we have singles, we have divorced people in our congregation, our family here at Pathway, that really uh, in this moment, you know, it may feel difficult or hard. You see something that you desire, you're longing for. And as as I've talked to single people over the years, I can tell you this, man, it can be difficult. I've listened to their journeys and sometimes a journey, you know, it involves frustration, loneliness, sometimes hopelessness. You know, it can even be scary. But I want to tell you, God, God wants to use you. And God will use you in a powerful way. And I want to encourage you as we spend this time today to not give up on the desire of your heart. To know that God is before you. He's ahead of you. And so I just want to take a moment and I want to pray. I want to pray for our singles. I want to pray for those who have experienced divorce that God would continue to bless you and to show you his power. So Pathway Church, let's pray together. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity we have in moments like this to hear the truth of your heart for our marriages for our families. And Father, I pray that as uh, we have this opportunity to experience this day, that we may be reminded that you are a God, that whatever battle we're in desires to bring us blessing and protection. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that today. And Father, I just pray that you would allow those who still are waiting and those who may be struggling Lord, just trying to understand your plan for their life. I pray that you bring them encouragement. And I pray, Father, that for each of us, whether we be married or we be single, that we recognize our most important relationship is with you. That you are the one that fulfills us. And so, Father, I pray for your fulfillment. I pray for your encouragement. For those that are married, I pray for those that are single, those who have experienced divorce. Father, that you would be with us. Help us keep clinging to you, knowing that you are the God of truth. As we learn to trust your truth, I pray that it would protect our heart from temptation. I pray to protect our heart from those days and nights that we do feel overwhelmed or lonely. Father, I pray that it would allow us to understand how you love us. So God, would you move in us? Whatever season of life we're in, I pray that you would move in us and I pray that we would be your light in the world that more and more people could experience your kingdom here on earth. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm so extremely grateful for each and every one of you as you engage with God's word 
and this message on our online service. What a beautiful picture that we have, people from all over watching this message. Now, there was a specific moment that Pastor Hutchison had talked about for our in-person campuses. But I don't want you to miss out, and you don't have to miss out. You see, God's protection, God's blessing, God's gifts to you and your marriage are not dependent on you standing under the hoopah. It is dependent on you committing yourself and your relationship to God. You seeking Him and spending time with Him. You obeying God's direction in your life and in your relationship. Here is the beautiful thing. You can do that from wherever you are watching. You do not need to be at a campus. We're going to play a song here in a second to give you time to commit yourself to God. Here on the screen, you can see a commitment prayer that you can pray. I'd encourage you to take a picture of it so you can remember this commitment and allow it to guide your words and your actions in the future. If you are married and with your spouse, then take this time during the song to pray this prayer with them. If you are not married, then take this moment to commit to God and that relationship, and you will find hope, peace, rest, and blessing during this next season of your life. I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the days. I look up to the sky and say, you're beautiful. Today, 
tomorrow, this week, begin new habits, building and strengthening your relationship with God so that he can pour into you and pour into your relationship.